Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the end of another week here on Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Thank you for joining us for today's show. We have a lot to talk about today. And, of course, we're anticipating next week is going to be a very big week in uh, the news in the state because uh, primary election day, as everyone knows by now, uh, is on Tuesday. We'll have the answers to many questions we've been asking on this show about candidates' uh, chances for success or failure Um, And um, we're going to start talking about the campaigns in just a minute with our panel. Uh, Jim Galloway, a former columnist, political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and a veteran of uh, the newspaper business here. You've covered uh, your share of campaigns going back decades, Jim Galloway. Welcome to the show today. Thank you. Happy Friday. And I don't think I've seen an election cycle that's, uh, they always say this is the most important vote you'll ever cast. Uh, this one, yeah, this one looks like it. Yeah, it, it is extraordinary. Uh, we have Karen Owen back with us, professor of political science at the University of West Georgia, but now a dean at uh, the school as well. Karen, I haven't had the chance to ask you, since your elevation as an interim dean at the university, were you able to teach classes uh, or during the final semester? I did finish up my semester of teaching, so I had three courses at the end, and I um, will not be teaching this next year, but I will be still advising some students in their master's thesis work. Uh, this is a loss for students out there because we know what a uh, wonderful political science professor you have been out there. So um, uh, it's too bad that, that students won't get to take advantage of your wisdom, at least for a period of time. Sam Olins is with us. You all know him. He's the former attorney general of the state of Georgia. Before that, the chairman of the Cobb County uh, Commission and now a partner with the world's largest law firm, Dentons. How are you, Sam? I'm doing well, Bill. Good to be We have some real uh, echo coming from uh, you, Sam, so we're going to try to see what's going on there. Um, Mike Thurman is with us as well. You know him as the chairman of the, uh, I'm sorry, the CEO of uh, DeKalb County. But Mike goes back many years in elective office to the days when he was just a young legislator, a House member from um, Athens, Georgia. He served as the state's labor commissioner. Uh, He ran for the U.S. Senate in 2010. He uh, was the school board chair in DeKalb County, or he served as superintendent of the school board in DeKalb County when they were in crisis for a period of time. Mike? You have worn many hats in public service. Many hats, and I have the scars to prove it. (laughs) I also have to point out, if you don't mind, Mike, that uh, you sent me a message late uh, last night at at about 8.45 or 9 o'clock, by which point I am already in bed. And I answered you at 4 o'clock this morning, which is my wake-up time, and I learned that's yours, too, because you responded immediately to me. What time do you get up, Thurman? Well, I, I just happened to be up, so lucky you I didn't call you. I started to call. Then, then midnight, it would have been very upset. So I yeah. All right. Enough of that. Enough of that. It's time to get serious about the news. Jim Galloway, um, this election is remarkable for many reasons, not the least of which is we now know that almost three quarters of a million people, 747,000 people have voted early in the election. Today is the last day of voting, and we usually expect that this final day, there's a huge surge. Um, So uh, Mark Nisi on the show the other day, who tracks this stuff for the AJC, said he wouldn't be surprised if we have a a million early voters between absentee and early in-person voting, Jim. That's remarkable. Yeah, the last numbers I saw, uh, it was uh, three times the 
the uh, number of votes cast in, in the 2018, which was the kind of the, the comparable uh, cycle, uh, off, off, off your election cycle. And uh, unlike last year, uh, what you're seeing is you're seeing a whole lot of Republican votes. Uh, being cast far more than far more than Democratic ones, and, and that I'm sure that has to do with number one, the Republicans are the ones up on TV. They're the ones with the races that uh, that uh, that are getting the most attention, uh, and and the uh, and it looks like we're headed for some. You know, uh, Kemp is probably going to be able to escape a runoff, but down ticket, it it, it I, th- I think uh, the Republican picture is a lot more uh, complicated. Um, we'll talk about all of that in just a minute. But Karen, I'm curious uh, what, what your thoughts are about why there's such a surge of early voting. I will tell you that from my point of view, it may be because Georgians recognize that we've become uh, kind of the center of the political universe in this state. The stakes in our election are so high I get the sense that Georgians are excited about voting because they realize they really can make a difference this time around. What are your thoughts on that? So I think that is, yes, partly we are now at the center of all political universe. Everyone's paying attention to what's happening in the state. I think that both parties are energized based off issues and the candidates and getting people out to vote. I also think with early voting, Um, Since we are here at the May and spring, people are wanting to get that ballot cast and done and not wait maybe till Election Day. Because let's face it, for most of the local areas, school is out next week. So parents, their attention will change and the focus will change of their lives. So if they can get out and vote early, it does matter. And so they're going ahead and getting that done. Okay, um, Sam Olins, I think we have you back with us, don't we? Sam, do we have you back with us? Good. Yeah. So let me ask you a question, uh, if I may, um, as, as the Republican on the panel. Um, we, we've seen polling this week that suggests that Brian Kemp is just dominated uh, um, David Perdue, at least in the polling. Fox News poll shows him 32 points ahead of Perdue. Um, it, so my question, I guess, to you is um, obviously the only poll that counts, we all know, is on Election Day. But do you think Republicans are going to be eager to get this primary, at least for the governor's race, over with, with Brian Kemp apparently in a position to win without a runoff? Is this going to be a relief to Republicans? You know, I don't know if I can speak for all Republicans. I have a hard enough time speaking for myself. Um, (laughs) I I think, let's face it, he's run a really good campaign. And... uh, He's done a very solid job in a very difficult time. And while we could disagree about different partisan issues, there's no question that he has worked really hard through COVID, through whatever uh, has hit the state and done a very good job. You know, I think the whole idea that um, Purdue has Sarah Palin in town today and he has – Vice President Pence in town tomorrow speaks uh, a whole lot. You know, who would you rather For have? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'd much rather have Vice President Pence any day of the week than uh, Sarah Palin. Uh, Mike Thurman, of course, if in fact uh, Kemp does win without a runoff, which is increasingly looks like he will do, uh, that means the general election campaign gets underway in earnest. And uh, Stacey Abrams has had... Not quite a free ride because Republicans have already been at least, uh, in, in, you know, trying to focus some of their uh, uh, their attacks on her, even while the primary is going on. But she's had a relatively uh, free ability to define herself. That's going to change once Tuesday is over with. Well, yes, and to this extent, you know, obviously she's a fundraising juggernaut. Uh, she will have the resources needed uh, to carry the fight into November. Uh, it will be an amazing race. We didn't mention the Herschel Walker race. He'll probably win without a runoff as well. Um, although if I was a Republican, I'd be very disappointed that Gary Black didn't get the nomination, but that's a whole other issue. But uh, it's going to be interesting. As far as turnout, I think the economy is driving turnout, too. 
I believe that the whole mm. issue of inflation is being realized now, and everybody from top to bottom, regardless of your socioeconomic state, is really beginning to feel the impact of inflation in their everyday lives. People are concerned. I believe that's the number one issue that's really driving uh, voter turnout in many ways. Jim Galloway, um, what do you make? We've talked about it on the show, and I'm always eager to listen to the opinions of uh, people on on, on any given panel. What do you make of the fact that um, it seems to be true that any number of people who took Democratic ballots in 2020 uh, chose to take Republican ballots uh, when they cast their early votes uh, this time around. Um, the question is, were they taking Republican ballots hoping to get a weak candidate in one or the other position, say a David Perdue rather than a Brian Kemp, a, a Jody Heiss or Brad Raffensperger? What we're hearing anecdotally, at least, is the opposite that they were voting to reward Brad Raffensperger for being uh, straightforward and not giving in to Trump's demands to try to overturn the election. What's your take on that? Yeah, it's, it's going to be hard to prove one way or the other without any, in, in, any uh, real reliable exit polling. But uh, I, I think the latest numbers I saw out of the AJC were maybe 7% of uh, mm-hmm. those who have cast absentee ballots uh, had previously uh, picked up Democrats, uh, Democratic ballots. Uh, and that's that's a very high number. Usually, you know, usually it's it's uh, it's maybe it's closer to one percent. But I do think it does signal that that de- uh, that democracy, small d democracy, is going to be on the ballot in November. And and uh, and 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 my goodness, it's it's certainly on the ballot in this primary because you do have you do have. Uh, Jody Heiss is Jody Heiss and the uh, Secretary of State's race is, uh, is is has been endorsed by by Donald Trump. He hasn't been spending a whole lot of money. I think he's anticipating kind of a a, a mano a mano runoff uh, with Raffensperger after after uh, after next Tuesday, and and remember that uh, I mean the election was was kind of central to uh, Donald Trump's endorsement of David Perdue. Although we have seen less and less of that argument uh, from uh, from Purdue over the last, or at least over the last few days, I, I'm not saying that he's not saying it on the stump. We're just not seeing it in ads. He's he's got nothing going up, on uh, nothing on TV. Uh, the associated gr- uh, groups associated with him, they've they've pulled pulled the plug on him as well. So um so Karen. The, 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 I think political scientists typically believe in looking at data that this notion that people cross over to cast a ballot for negative reasons because they want to put the easiest target on the uh, ballot for, for their own candidate uh, to be able to beat uh, typically just doesn't happen. Uh, it, it, it's more of a theory than, an, than, a, than anything that happens in reality. So it is likely people are actually voting on the other side of the aisle to uh, thank people like Brad Raffensperger, it appears. So you are correct that usually when we think about it in terms of political science, we're talking about voters being very strategic. They have to really plan ahead and actually not fall to their partisan whims, not really want to actually activate their partisanship, but go over and usually help their party in that way by choosing the other party's weak candidate so that they can get theirs elected. I mean, this situation is very different. And I think it's what Jim touched on, which is a lot of voters are concerned about small-D democracy. They're really concerned about where the nation and the state, where we're headed with our candidates, where we're headed with how we talk civics um, in the public square. And so with all of that, it is now much more of, you know, how are we selecting people that have stood up? who have been working hard to secure votes, uh, protect that democracy. And so if it takes them being strategic and in this open primary, going and selecting Republicans they think have, can stand for that, then they are doing that. Um, it is interesting to me that we typically see this at 1%, because, again, you have to let go of your partisan feel and go and want to actually cross over. Um, that we're up at 7%, which means that a lot of Georgians are really saying, hey, do I thank this person or do I pick someone who hasn't really upset me? But then um, we'll have a battle out in November. Mike? <laughs> as, as strange as it is, um, Senator Perdue's, uh, former Senator Perdue's insistence, along with Joe the Heights, 
their insistence on relitigating, uh, you know, 2020, a race that Donald Trump, you know, legitimately lost, has made Brian Kemp and 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 Brad Raffensperger look more rational. And it's and I think that's having an impact. Uh, as strange as it may seem, the extreme hard right position uh, taken by Hayes and Purdue and others have made people who were never moderate to begin with at least appear to be moderate in the Republican primary. So, Sam, I want to pick up on that because I've, I've thought about that, too, and I've, I've mentioned it on the show at least one other time. Um, the, David Perdue has run so far to the right that he's actually made Brian Kemp appear to be moderate, which, which is not what his record uh, tells us he is. I mean, in terms of ideological uh, issues, he's certainly not a moderate. Um, and, and the question becomes whether that makes him more appealing in a general election to the whatever segment of the population could still be considered swing voters. You know, when, when you look at Brad uh, Raffensperger, uh, he's been everything you'd want a secretary of state to be. He's followed the law. As Jim's referencing little d democracy, the only real race on the ballot is secretary of state in that regard. If you have a, a Jody Heiss as compared to a Brad Raffensperger as the Republican nominee, I personally disagree with an earlier comment. To, to me, this election is important, but not close to 2024. Um, I mean, God forbid if, if Donald Trump's the Republican nominee in 2024, and if he wins, because then I think small D democracy is in huge, huge trouble. So I'm much more interested in the 2024 race than 2022. Uh, you know, similar to my comment about uh, Brad Raffensperger, Brian Kemp followed the law. He didn't ask for a special session. He didn't try and play with votes. That shouldn't be something that you're proud of. It ought to be something we expect all elected officials to do. Unfortunately, uh, many elected officials did the opposite and took partisan positions rather than governance positions. So I think the answer is um, Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger should be rewarded. And, and oh, by the way, Chris Carr put himself in trouble by doing the same thing and following the law. And that's what, you know, when you swear an, an oath to the Constitution, so you're supposed to do that. Karen? I was just thinking that's interesting, Sam, that you're thinking ahead to 2024, because it's wondering sometimes if 2022 is the testing ground, whether Trump could actually come back for 2024. If some of these candidates he's supporting um, across the country and even in our state, if they're not successful, will that be a way for him to perhaps not jump in? Of course, we know he has his own ego and thoughts about what's going forward, but will the the change in the Republican Party be felt in 2022 to where it might not support Trump at the top of the ticket in 2024? Um, so that's an interesting question. Uh, Jim Galloway, uh, that Trump himself, we obviously the jury is still out. He's won some big races. He certainly did uh, it with uh, his Senate candidate in uh, Ohio. Uh, we still don't quite know what's going to happen with Mehmet Oz in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, uh, the Trump candidate in Pennsylvania. There are in, in Idaho, his candidate for governor lost. So there's a, a mixed scorecard uh, for Trump. But um, but but Trumpy the Trumpy ideology, the Trump ideology is still motivating a great many candidates on the Republican side of the uh, a ballot, whether or not they've won Trump's endorsement or not, Jim. I mean, the party is infected with Trump uh, and his ideology and his rhetoric. No, look, look, look. If if you are if you are worried about small d democracy, the worst thing that that uh, Tuesday brought this week was uh, the Republican candidate for pencil uh, in, in uh, Republican candidate in Pennsylvania who was a January 6th organizer, a January 6th supporter, who has already declared that he is going to, uh, he is going to strike everyone off, every voter off the poll. If, if he becomes governor, he will strike every voter off the rolls and, and require them to re-register. 
Uh, I, I'm not sure how you go about it, uh, but he, he'll, he'll be able to name, he, uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, the governor names the secretary of state, which is in, who's in charge of, uh, of the elections. Uh, and, of course, Pennsylvania is one of those key swing states that, that Trump barely lost in 2020. And it's, uh, it's a state that he'll, he'll desperately need to win in 2024 if he, if he intends a, a comeback. Um, all right, let's do this. We got a lot of, of other issues I'd really love to discuss on the show with you all uh, uh, in the in the remaining time that we have. But why don't we get our first break out of the way? <clears throat> excuse me, right now, so we can come back and move beyond uh, just the elections uh, uh, issues that are in the news. This is Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Uh, Karen Owens, Sam Olins, Michael Thurman, and Jim Galloway are with me for the show today. I'd like to correct the record. I said we're going to get away from election issues. Well, I was just looking over what's on the rundown to talk about. We're not going to really get away from election issues uh, the way I had thought we might. So let's keep going. Jim Galloway, uh, Brian Kemp has staked a lot of his candidacy on his skills as a business magnet, economic development being uh, one of the things he talks about uh, most. And he's had a pretty successful uh, record. The Rivian uh, auto assembly plant uh, was a success, except for a a number of voters out there in uh, East Georgia who were very upset about it. Now, today he announces Hyundai is going to uh, build a an electric vehicle assembly plant out near Savannah. Could be 8,000 jobs or more. Um, Jim, just weigh in on that for a second, and then I want to turn to the two men who have been p- in positions of attracting business to their counties at various points in their career. But give us your take on how important this announcement is just three days ahead of the primary. Oh, look, this is it's very important, and it's well-timed. Uh, I think what you have to keep in mind with with both Rivian and Hyundai is is that that you know it will be years before we see whether these plans actually do come to fruition. Uh, but that's not the point in a political campaign. He's uh, Kemp has got the the immediacy of the announcement. Uh, uh, and I mean, for instance, you'll remember, Bill, in 2002, uh, Roy Barnes an, uh, announced the, that, that Daimler Chrysler mm-hmm. was coming to, to, to Pooler, Georgia. Uh, uh, we're still waiting for that plant to, to come. Yeah. But, but this, yeah. is, this is a different, this is, this is, I think this is far more interesting because uh, you're, you're, you're talking about uh, electric vehicles, which is a cutting edge, uh, a cutting edge uh, transportation issue. And it puts the state in the in the forefront, and I think in future years it's going to really be interesting to see how the GOP adopts its message because it hasn't traditionally. Uh, I mean, this isn't a party that has uh, that hasn't dealt with uh, climate change that much, which is the issue driving EVs. Mike Thurman, you as CEO of DeKalb County, one of your jobs is to look at business investment in the county. And then, of course, Sam was in the same position when he was chair of the Cobb County Commission. So start with you, Mike. How 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 do you look at, you know, in the Rivian plant uh, uh, instance, uh, of course, there are questions about the enormous amount of money that the state has put into allowing Rivian to, to giving Rivian what they wanted to build here. I assume there's going to be a similarly big, big state investment uh, around Hyundai. How do you balance uh, what you're willing to give away uh, to get a company to come in with jobs? Well, of course, the professionals will engage in the analysis. And I'm hopeful, at least with myself, and I know with Sam, it's not just a political uh, calculus. Uh, what you do, you weigh uh, the tax abatements and any other uh, incentives that the state and or local jurisdiction might have to encourage the investment. What you don't want to do, of course, is to use tax dollars in a way 
that's unnecessary because ultimately you and I are paying that tab. Now, just in the spirit of fair play, we must also mention that Miss Stacey Abrams has a uh, ad up where she's touting the work that she did to bring more film production jobs to Georgia. So anytime a candidate and or a politician can legitimately say that they played a role in spurring economic growth and particularly creating new jobs, that's just a net positive. No matter how you look at it, and frankly, no matter what the amount of incentive or abatement is, the public don't really seem to uh, uh, focus in on that. They're looking at the net positive result, and I think obviously that's what Governor Kemp is trying to project and uh, also Stace Abrams. Sam? So let, let's thank you, Bill. So let's keep in mind that before the Rivian announcement, uh, the governor had already declared that this year was the most successful year in Georgia's history for new investment. And that's really saying something because the year before and the year before that were records too. And, you know, everyone thought Nathan Deal was was breaking that ceiling about as much as you could do because he had such success and Governor Kemp's blown, that, blown those numbers away. Uh, and then you've got Rivian, and then you've got uh, Hyundai today in Bryan County. But also keep in mind, the majority of these monies are not state monies. They're local government. The majority of these monies, as Mike just referenced, is generally property tax abatement. Uh, a lot of times there's, um, you know, some state dollars for transportation, interchange improvements, et cetera. But the real money is coming from the local governments. Uh, it's just that if you want to be negative, you then say, well, state money. So by definition, these projects have to have local support or they never would be announced in the first place. Uh, you know, when you look at Georgia, the ability to literally now be a leader with electric vehicles, electric batteries, et cetera, we, we have gone from being a state that was losing the vast majority of our industry to a state that's now a national leader. And, and I think candidly, you've got to give a lot of credit to uh, Economic Development Commissioner Pat Wilson and, and Governor Brian Kemp. Uh, Sam, I, I just want to follow up on what you said about local money as opposed to state money. And, and certainly you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I, f take the Hyundai uh, uh, announcement we're expecting uh, later this afternoon, for example. I think I'm correct that the piece of land that they are going to uh, build on was in fact developed with state monies. The state identified a large tract of land uh, and made it available for development. And I think Rivian too, didn't the state put in a hundred plus million dollars uh, to prepare that land so that uh, Rivian could, so there is state money involved, right? There's state money involved, but there's a significant multiplier from local government. The project doesn't okay. even get off the ground without local government going to the table. Uh, when I was chair of Cobb, um, the issue was never how much was, was the state going to put in. The issue was how much was the county going to put in, uh, because from the get-go, the county bears the weight. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I understood that a little bit better. So thank you for correcting uh, the record. I mean, uh, Karen, one of these is still, go ahead. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, for instance, when, when you're looking at these 20 year, 100% property tax abatements, like for uh, SK, that's got extra zeros on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, Karen, one of the things that's interesting about Hyundai as opposed to Rivian is um, Rivian right now, I mean, it was a big coup for Kemp to be able to announce that Rivian was coming to Georgia, but right now Rivian's struggling. Their stock has plummeted. They're not able to get uh, vehicles off their assembly line up in Illinois the way they had hoped to. They've lowered the estimate for the number of vehicles they uh, would be able to produce. Um, they're still kind of, they're a startup company. Hyundai is a well-established, long-time builder of vehicles, they've got the Kia plant uh, in West Point. So, in many ways, it's a um, a much more secure uh, 
I don't know if gamble is the right word to use, but it's a much more secure investment for uh, uh, Georgians one way or the other. Well, I think you're right on the Rivian. It was a risk, right? A startup company, something new, and we have seen concerns about the value that it's producing. I think part of that is just in the, the cycle of the economy we're in right now with supply chains and other issues going on that are actually affecting that. But you're right. The, the Hyundai announcement will be, for many Georgians, a see as this is a strong investment in a company that's doing well. Many Georgians are probably already driving Hyundai. I would say that, too, politically, we have seen over the last couple of decades just the emphasis placed by our state officials on making sure infrastructure in Georgia is supporting of that business. So making sure that the port in Savannah was larger to secure much more of this, which makes, you know, uh, Hyundai look at Georgia and say, yeah, let's invest and be close to the city of Savannah where that port is. So those are things that were kind of working in place. I think with all of these plants for voters, it is, will the economy of the state stay strong? Will there be jobs available? How does it affect my economic outlook here and safety there? And that's what they're thinking of. For some of the voters in those communities, it will be, how does it, how does it affect the local area? You know, there's the discussion out in Morgan County, of course, with Rivian and all that is the rural part of the state is changing. But our politicians have talked about we have to keep rural Georgia surviving. It cannot just be Metro Atlanta all the time. And so I think we're having to weigh all of these different things as voters, as citizens of this state of what we're looking at. Yeah, I, I think, and, 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 and to Karen's point here, I, I think, number one, the, the Hyundai plant in Savannah uh, is going to move into, in, in, would, would be moving into its its acreage with a lot less stress than uh, than Rivian in Morgan County because uh, people in Savannah have they, they they've become adapted they, they understand that the that the port has become their the the economic engine of the coast there and that things do go up uh, they are they are built up uh, around the coast you have a different situation in Morgan County uh, and and there's a lot of not, not my backyard kind of sentiment out there. Uh, it, it reminds me very much of when 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 uh, when uh, I, I, th- I guess it was the Purdue administration may have been the Deal administration was putting was uh, was first really pumping up the film tax credits. Uh, I was at a I was at a meeting where you had a, a Villa Rica lawmaker uh, stand up and say I don't want this. This industry is going to bring new people. New people are going to change us. I don't want the change. Uh, and there is a lot of that in Morgan County, I think. The problem is that this is what people have to understand. This is a South Georgia, rural Georgia has been losing population. It has been bleeding people for generations. Uh, and this is, this, is, this is what it's going to take to repopulate South Georgia, which is, which is how you get health insurance, which is how you get all the services that have, that have been drained away. All right. Um, well, we expect that announcement later this afternoon. And, of course, uh, here on uh, GPB Radio, you'll hear about it on uh, All Things Considered uh, after the announcement is uh, made. So let's move on. Um, let's talk a little bit, uh, Karen Owen, if we can, about what happened in the U.S. House uh, yesterday. Um, Republicans have been uh, uh, really going after President Biden accusing him of not being uh, prepared to deal with uh, what is a terrible, terrible crisis, the lack of uh, formula for uh, babies uh, out there, the fact that um, we had a plant shut down for safety uh, reasons, supply chains have created problems, parents are desperate to find formula for their infants, and Republicans have accused Biden of not anticipating there could be a crisis, but more... Uh, they have also uh, uh, it, uh, advanced the false narrative that uh, the reason there's a crisis is Biden is sending uh, what formula supplies we do have to undocumented uh, immigrants down at the border, which it turns out isn't really correct at all. Okay, that's the setup. Yesterday, uh, the House had a chance to vote on two measures that relate to formula. Uh, one would have uh, would have earmarked something like twenty eight million dollars, basically a drop in the bucket bucket to FDA 
uh, to uh, help uh, uh, get formula out more quickly. Uh, Republicans voted against it largely. The leadership of the party voted against it. Uh, Georgia Republicans voted against it. Um, and the question become, they their reasoning they said was, this is the wrong place to put the money. But there are an awful lot of people who feel this is just Republicans who want to continue having a wedge issue to use against the administration. Your uh, thoughts on this? So, I mean, we are in election year, so we're going to use issues to pit one party against the other. So I think with this, there is a crisis, right? And we're talking about children who need food. These babies need the formula. And I think one thing here is the Republican messaging that uh, crisis needs to be handled, and they are not to um, step aside from that. They have to be engaged in it. So instead of voting against a measure that's just pumping money, where are you seated at the table trying to come up with a bipartisan effort to handle this? That seems to be being lost in the shuffle, right, of electioneer and just our partisan politics, period. Um, but this is something that has to be addressed. And as far as Democrats, you know, the crisis didn't start just yesterday. So what has been in measure? Where have the discussions been talked about? That seems to be lost in the, and not really pushed. The other piece on um, the other second part of the measure was actually providing money to the WIC so that um, low-income families could also get it. And there was support from Republicans, but I think if I remember correctly, there were nine who voted against it. And those are nine who, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, they're going to vote against anything that the Democrats put out no matter what. It, you know, that's just the piece of how they are. Anything you put out, they're going to say no to, which is a shame because we really need to have this addressed. Sam, have we reached a point where there is just always going to be uh, uh, terrible partisanship when when one party or the other sees uh, a political advantage, especially in an election year? So let, let me be a little more partisan than usual. This administration is one disaster after another. Mike started the call talking about um, people voting due to inflation in the economy. It's one mess after another. When the Abbott plant was closed, that took care of about 43% of the U.S. supply of this food. Like 43. What did the administration do? Nothing. I mean, regulation, you know, is more important than food, apparently. So now all of a sudden they woke up and now they're really interested in getting some uh, formula from abroad. Uh, in reopening up the plant, but the administration did this. Uh, their response to Abbott was nonsensical and incompetent. Uh, the vote uh, for the 28 million, as you mentioned yourself, Bill, was a drop in the bucket. That was, that was a message vote. It wasn't a, a solution vote. The vote that provided WIC the opportunity to get food from abroad only had nine negative votes. And, and candidly, I think I'm at a point where if I'm um, on the side of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Gates and Gozard, shoot me. So, you know, don't, don't worry about this. Don't worry about those nine. Worry about all the others. So, you know, the, the, the answer really should not be, uh, oh, my God, you know, the Republicans voted against 28 million. The, the question should really be, what the heck has the administration done the last couple of months? while this problem has gotten so big. Mike? Well, if, if I recall, the pandemic actually originated under President, it started under President Trump and not President Biden. And one of the things we have to do is to recognize that, frankly, babies should be beyond the pale in terms of political leverage and political game pain. Uh, I go back. This the impact of inflation is real, it is, and it's just beginning in many ways. So what I'm asking, hoping, praying anyway, that our political leaders, either in Washington or here in Atlanta or wherever they might be, will see the challenge that this nation is facing. You know, in many ways, and I see it, maybe I'm more sensitive, Sam, because I see our society fraying around the edges. 
Uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, earlier this week that said that people with mental disabilities are everywhere, sleeping on the streets, uh, uh, standing on street corners. People are hungry. What we have to think about is the future direction of the country. You know, it's not just the next election. Sometimes you have to think about the next generation and put that as a priority as opposed to what's going to happen next Tuesday in November. The only thing I'd, I'd add to this discussion, Bill, is I just want to hear from, from, from Karen and Mike because they represent two very specific communities. Karen, you're out, you're out there with West Georgia. You've, you've got a – I'm sure there are a number of, of young mothers within your student population – uh, Mike, I'm, I'm just curious as, as to what as to what you're hearing uh, uh, from your communities on on what is your personal experience with with mothers mothers with parents trying to get uh, uh, baby formula. Karen, why don't you go first, and then Mike. So I will say, Jim, that you know we've had for the last year students who've just been fighting food insecurity. We have a major food pantry on campus providing food for our students. Um, which is not something I have seen very much in my history of teaching at the, the university level. You know, we've had pantries, but not like this. With our young students and the other mothers around us, it's it's growing concern that they can't find anything. And they're spending, if they can find someone who stops, and I hate to say this, but stockpiles several months worth, you know, they're having to spend all they can to get it for their children. And I know I have had friends, close friends, um, who have gone out of state or asked friends out of state if they can find anything to have shipped to their baby here. Um, so it is it is dire. It is very concerning. Um, people actually, students talking and asking, how do you find a homemade recipe to provide some type of formula or food for their baby? Oh, I, I, I agree with uh, Dean Owens. It's, it's absolutely critical. And people are afraid. I was looking at a poll uh, conducted, I guess, about the CNN, 25% of the voters said they are scared about the future of this nation. Uh, mothers are just not, and fathers not being able to get a basic nutritional necessity for their children. And that with food insecurity, this is just one more blow. Look, tomorrow morning, uh, uh, we'll be distributing 5,000 boxes of fresh fruits and vegetables to families in need. Bill, the cars line up at 7 a.m. in the morning for an, a 9 a.m. distribution, and by 9 a.m. is three to four, five hundred cars at every location. The politicians need to wake up, Republicans and Democrats, and recognize the seriousness of what we are facing right now. This is not just a political game. Lives are being lost. Babies' lives are being impacted in a very serious way, and these are going to have lifelong complications if they're not provided the nutrition they need. Everyone in education and everyone else knows that this is true, and everyone has to be sensitive to the realities we're facing right now. Um, I've got to get to another break, but I I do want to um, mention a news story that Sam Olins, I think you kind of pointed me to. Uh, Just before we went on the air, the Associated Press released their latest poll of uh, President Biden and his approval ratings. President Biden's approval rating, this is the lead to the AP story, dipped to the lowest point of his presidency in May. Uh, Deepening pessimism is emerging among members of his own Democratic Party. Only 39% of U.S. adults approve of Biden's performance, and only 73% of Democrats approve of his performance. Um, And 2 in 10 adults say the United States is heading in the right direction while 8 and 10 say it's heading in the wrong direction. Whether you support President Biden or not, the issues that you just talked about, Sam Olins, have really created a significant problem for Democrats as they approach the fall elections. And we'll be talking about that more on Political Rewind um, as we move forward with the election cycle. Got us pausing out to take a break. We'll be back with more in just a minute. Mike Thurman, since you're the one member of this panel who's had direct experience in having to deal with the school board when you were out in uh, working in the schools in DeKalb County, I want to start with you on this one. Um, a National Political Action Committee 
has decided to put money into two school board races in Metro Atlanta, in uh, Coweta County and in Cherokee County. The 1776 Project PAC is sending out mailers supporting candidates who have very conservative views, uh, who oppose the teaching of so-called critical race theory uh, or anything that upsets white students who uh, may feel they're being victimized by uh, uh, the teaching of history um, and other aspects of, uh, of the, uh, I, this ideological war now underway uh, in which parents say they need to have much more involvement in schools. I was struck by this, and maybe, there's, maybe this is going on elsewhere, and I'm just not aware of it, but what are the implications of a national PAC deciding to get invested in a local school board race? Well, as you can see, this is the uh, uh, issue of choice for extreme uh, right-wing, extreme conservative uh, voters and or uh, political action committees is unfortunate, but parents and educators who truly love and support and understand the importance of public education need to be alert and aware and get involved in protecting the sanctity of our public education system. And this well, is just okay. a, a bell in the night that says, wake up and pay attention and get involved. Okay, but Jim, I think I, I get that. But we're also talking about a national organization that now wants to influence a local school board election. That's what I find so troubling about this. Right, right. It, 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 what it basically it monetizes, uh, it monetizes uh, a fight that's already going on. Look, uh, and Sam, both Sam and Karen can attest to this. Uh, the Cherokee County School Board is thoroughly Republican. The Coweta County School Board is thoroughly re- Republican. The fight in both communities is over how Republican and what kind of Republicans are going to be there. And you do have, uh, in Coweta County, I know you have a very, very hardcore Republican uh, uh, faction that is, that is trying to, to, to take and, and keep control of the local school board. And you, you've, you've had the same thing happening in, in Cherokee County for years. I think that's probably one reason why, why this, this group, 1776, uh, uh, the 1776 Project, has chosen these two, these two, uh, these two uh, school systems. Sam, I guess I'm still not saying, stating my f- feelings about this clearly enough. Are we going to start nationalizing local school board races? That's about as local as an election can become, Sam. Hell, half the people don't even know they're, they're elected. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is, uh, so Mike and I will be on the same page here. Uh, I don't support book burners. Uh, I don't support people that want to treat our students as snowflakes. It's really interesting to me because the whole snowflake theory started by the far left uh, that wanted our children to not be affected by opinions they may not be comfortable with. And now the far right's doing the same damn thing. It was wrong on the left and it's wrong on the right. The only way you educate your children is by giving them varied opinions and having them learn from those opinions and then come up with their own beliefs. Uh, When it has become so critical of our children learning is frankly pretty scary uh, at this point. Um, And I think the reason we're really not responding to your question so much, Bill, is our opinion would be the same if it was local or national. It's wrong both ways. Makes sense. Karen? I was just sitting here thinking, I assume that Tip O'Neill is, you know, turning over in his grave because we're no longer going to be talking about <laughs> all politics is local no more. It's all becoming national. It is nationalized to this. And, you know, when I was sitting here thinking about this, how many of us could really name our school board members? We can barely name our congressional member. And, like, actually knowing the school board, probably not. And now you have the influence of national groups coming to co- trying to come in and sway voters to one way and one agenda. It is scary. Our teachers, our parents, they are involved and they don't want to find people who are representing that community. You know, for Cherokee County, uh, I'm a resident. I'll be full flank there. (laughs) And I will say that it is disturbing to hear because over the last few years, that county has dealt with school board members who got involved in unethical behavior 
Uh, we had, you know, conversations about how diversity is talked in the school system. And it is problematic that we can't have more open discussion, but we do it at the local level because this affects children, but it also will affect accreditation. And we do not want to see our school systems get affected by that because that has a greater impact on the students and where they go um, in their future. We are just about out of time uh, for today's show, but I do want to do a quick round and maybe give each of you only about 30 seconds, starting uh, with you, Jim Galloway. I'm asking everybody this question this week. What is the one thing you're going to be most interested in watching for on Election Day? Uh, the margin the margin winning the, 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 the margins collected by Brad Raffensperger and Jody Heiss in the sector. You expect a runoff. I'm, I'm, and you expect a runoff. All, all, all the polls show, show uh, neither candidate even close to 50%, so I'm expecting a runoff. And if that happens, that's going to become a, a nationally watched race. Yeah. Karen Owens? Um, I think I'm watching to see which Republican races do go to a runoff, kind of what Jim mentioned. But I'm also curious to see Will Herschel. Walker hold his major spread in that, or will there be some changes down ballot for some of those Republicans you, coming into vote? Do you expect that might happen with Gary Black is the closest, and I think he's at 8% to Herschel Walker, 60%. I don't think it's going to narrow too much, but I am curious what the final will be, how really wide that margin will be. I am shocked that Gary Black's not further ahead. Mike Thurman, what are you looking for on Tuesday? Whether or not Charlie Bailey will make a runoff and which one of the other candidates uh, will be in a runoff with him, uh, I'm thinking maybe Kwanzaa Hall, but we have to see. But I think that's the most interesting race, along with damn ballot races for labor commissioner and agriculture commissioner. On the Democratic side, of course, Charlie Bailey running for the attorney general nomination on the Democratic side, right? Yes. No, I, he's no. running for lieutenant, lieutenant governor. No, secretary, you know, lieutenant governor. I'm sorry. I'm, I apologize. Um, yeah, and, Sam and Owens. Been, yeah, and haven't been endorsed by Shirley Franklin and others, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm, yes, right, I apologize Bill. for. You had a right before. He would have run for whatever uh, Stacey Abrams told him to run for, so Jen Jordan would have an easy run as attorney general. Uh, on of the course, Republican of side, well, let's just call it as it really is. I mean, you had seven people running for lieutenant governor, and all of a sudden they decided that, no, 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 we don't want those seven. Let's choose who wins. On the Republican right. uh, ticket, it's all about Brad. I agree with uh, Jim. I, I apologize that I got the Charlie Bailey thing wrong. Of course, Jen Jordan is the candidate the Democrats are really hoping wins that attorney general race, although we'll see what happens there. Charlie Bailey running for lieutenant governor. I'm completely out of time for Political Rewind uh, this week. Back with some brand new shows on Monday. I hope you all have a great weekend. Um, and uh, take care of yourselves. Stay healthy. See you all on Monday.